Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. I have a special guest today. Her name is Christy Smith, and she's an author and communicator. And Christy, welcome to Heart of the City. Thank you, Chuck. Great to be here. Well, I had a chance to meet you last night at a special event we were at. We're going to talk about that in another program. But Mm -hmm. uh, I had a a chance to share with you a little bit. And uh, you're an author of a book that I thought would be critical and important for this time of year. It's called Dream, A Guide to Grieving Gracefully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's talk about your your background a little bit before we talk about the book. Tell me about yourself. Well, um, I'm a widow, as you'll find out here shortly, but um, I call myself the wild widow writer because I didn't like the word widow all by itself, so I had to give it a little schnaz. Uh Um, So I'm the wild widow writer. And what that means is that I have a vantage point that is critical for people to know about. And so I come from this this side of grief, and I walk back through it with other people to bring them that sojourn onto this side of it. And it is my highest, highest calling right now. Yeah. I love it. Well, during the holidays, sometimes those feelings and emotions or that, that gets amplified, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's on steroids. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so people uh, sometimes experience some emotions that they may not have uh, uncovered yet. Mm-mm. It kind of catches you by surprise sometimes. There's yeah. that wave that comes through. Yeah. Well, we want to hear about you, but I'll just tell you okay. this quick story. Yeah. My father passed away uh, 10 years ago mm. and uh, loved my dad. It was, uh, if you will, a good death. He was 93 years old, loved the Lord, was ready for heaven, Okay. passed away in his sleep. So, you know, mm. I loved my dad. He loved me. So there was not that angst of what was between us and now I can't get it reconciled. So uh, I spoke at his funeral. I wept just a little bit when I uh, viewed the body and all that sure. sort of stuff. But naturally, there was uh, it was uh, three months later. My dad mm. loved airplanes. He didn't fly, but he loved airplanes. He loved the Blue Angels. Mm. Blue Angels are in town. I go down to watch the Blue Angels, not thinking about anything, nope. you know. No. Blue angels flow over the first flight. I started bawling like a baby. Yes. I started crying yes. like crazy. Mm-hmm. I had no clue. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. grief just overwhelmed me yes. about the loss of my father. Yes. That trigger happened. I didn't even expect it. Mm-mm. And Mm-mm. so that happens with people mm-hmm. in many different ways, doesn't it? It does, and especially during the holidays because all of our emotions are amped up already. And mm-hmm. so putting up the tree without that loved one or you're sitting at Thanksgiving table and grandma's not there, it, those spots are more sacred. So when they're empty, we feel that and we resonate with that. And it, it's meant to prompt memories and bring about good things that you, you think about, but it also has that, that double-edged sword that you're just very aware of, the anger, the sadness, just the melancholy that comes with that. Well, it's t- very real. Yeah, well, tell me about your experience. So um, I got the knock on the door at 9.30 at night, and it was my husband's buddy and said, I need you to come to the car. I can't. I can't wake up Mike. Something wrong. He's not breathing. Went out to the car with my 15-year-old daughter and 17-year-old daughter, and Mike was gone. 
sitting in the driver, the passenger seat, just gone. I knew it when as soon as I saw him, he was gone. He was so full of life, and to see him in this state, it was just shocking. That's the first stage of grief, shocking. And so we went into that mode of, okay, what are we going to do? We had a, a doctor that lived two doors down, and a fireman lived ten doors down. They came down immediately, started working on him. Um, within minutes, the paramedics are there, and they shocked him twice, and with no results, I knew. That's when it starts going to slow motion. You're aware of my reality has just shifted. And so I took the girls back up closer to the garage, and we huddled together with two of my neighbor ladies, and we just began praying out loud, Lord, be with Mike. Whatever you're going to do, Lord, we need you. To, if you're going to do something that needs to be now, blah, blah, blah. I just started going in, calling in all of heaven. <laughs> all right. You do. Yeah. And at that point, that was when this supernatural calm came over because everything was chaotic and out of control. And yet I felt this calm come over the girls and I. And I heard God say in my spirit, I've got you. I've got you. I've got the girls. I've got Mike got you. And that was what I needed to walk into the rest of the evening, which was going to the hospital and coming home without my husband Mm. and without their father that they adored. He was the best dad I ever knew. So this gaping uh, wound, I call it, uh, it was a shredding. It was not just a broken heart. It was a shredding because I felt like what happened was some kind of a surgery without anesthesia where just somebody just grabbed into my insides and pulled out all my organs. And so for the next few months, I'm walking around with my organs on the outside mm. and just trying to figure out how to breathe and how to grieve and how to heal. I knew how to hurt, but I didn't know how to heal. And that was my search that first year was, how are we going to do this? God says, I've got you. And that's the hope that we know and that we, we pull on. But how do we walk through those months and those moments that are just beyond us. And so at the end of a year, I had learned enough things profoundly that I felt like I needed to put them together somehow. I, they're all over my, all these writings, handwritings are on my table in the dining room and they're in the living room floor. And I just said, God, if you could help me put this together in a package that I could share with other people. I think what you've shown me is profound, and I want to share that with other people. And that's when we came up with DREAM as the name of the book, and it's also a working acronym. So DREAM is the five keys to unlock the grip of grief. So you want to grieve gracefully. How are we going to do that? We all know how to grieve, you know, just, you know, falling out. But how are we going to really do this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the reality is, Sometimes people will think if they're a believer that they're not they that they should somehow experience grief differently than someone who's not a believer and mm-hmm. and there are tools obviously I mm-hmm. say tools there's the, yes. the presence of the holy spirit in our, spirit in our life but the reality is mm-hmm. grief uh grief can hit anybody mm-hmm. anytime anywhere right yes. I mean as far as the death of someone or the death of a relationship or those kinds of things mm-hmm. people it is the natural thing to experience grief. It is, yes. But I, what I found was that even though it's natural, we don't know how to do it. And as believers, I looked for us to have like more answers. And quite honestly, we didn't. Mm-hmm. We had the comfort that knowing that our loved one is in heaven, and that is paramount. Right. I mean, that takes the sting of death away 
for that part of your grieving. But in the other hand, you have the, the that just reality of you're shredded. So how do we how do we hold on to the hope that we have? How do we walk through that? And well, let's talk about dreams. Yes. So what's the D in dream? So there's five stages of grief, and I have a key for each one of those stages. So mm-hmm. we start out in, in shock and denial, which is a gift. Let's be honest. Thank God that all of what was going to unfold in that year didn't fall on the driveway and implode with me. I was able to kind of wake up to this new reality. So I want everybody to know that all of these stages of grief that you go into are not to be avoiding your pain. They're brought in for your healing. So the reality that denial was was there was a gift, but you don't want to stay stuck in denial. And that's what these keys are about. When you're in denial, how do you unlock that? If you've figured out that you're not dealing with this on any level, how do you process that? So the D is dare to dream. Hmm. When the nightmare happens, you have to dare to dream. And that's your way of infusing hope from the very beginning. You don't know how you're going to get through it, but you know you're going to get through it. And so I ask people to lock into one thing. Your heart is the size of your hand. So I have them put their hand over their heart and picture your fist. That's the size of your heart. And then immediately after that, I want you to reach your hands all the way up into the air and then bring them down to your side and bring them back and forth, up and down. That is your wings. He says, wait upon the Lord. Those that wait upon the Lord will rise up on wings like eagles. Hmm. And the soaring that happens there is not of our own effort. Soaring, you're not flapping. You, your wings are out. You're completely open to the spirit leading you and rising you up. And that's what you're going to lean into, that uncomfortableness of, I can't do this, but I'm counting on the Holy Spirit to lead me through this. So it's the reality. Your, your heart can be in whatever condition. And I ask people first thing in the morning, how's your heart? Be honest. Mm-hmm. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't change your answer. How is your heart that day? And then as soon as you have three answers, pop those hands up in the air and say, but my Lord will get me through this day, whatever I'm going to face. And so that's a beautiful way to infuse hope because I told people there was times I was holding on to hope, but mostly hope was holding on to me. Mm -hmm. So dare to dream is you knowing that God's going to get you through it. You don't know how, you don't know when, but you know that he will. And so hope is powerful. You know what hopelessness does. Hmm. So um, hope, I have a whole uh, section in there that defines what hope is. And I I recommend people just to read through that for the holidays, especially during the holidays. Read that portion of the book. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, And uh, with me is Christy Smith. She's the author of Dream, A Guide to Grieving Gracefully. So what's the second step? What's the R? Well, um, you go usually right into anger after that. And I tell people that's a good sign because you're coming out of denial. Now, the anger that you're going to feel is going to be rage. Like I'm unloading unloading the dishwasher and I want to throw all the dishes across the room. Mm -hmm. That's the level of anger that you get about uh, death, divorce, all of those things that just come in so strongly. So it's good to feel that anger, but you don't want to feed the anger. So in order to um, diffuse the anger, like process the anger, I tell people the R is remove the stinger. Remove the stinger. There is something that you're legitimately upset about. So picture like um, a bee sting. When you get a bee sting, the Mm -hmm. stinger, if the stinger stays in, no healing happens. In fact, you get infection and other things. But when you remove that stinger, 
healing starts happening. So I ask people to search for the stinger, what's really got you mad. And I'll tell you the story of me removing my stinger. Yes. Okay. For me, um, it was, okay, why are you so, so angry? Well, because my husband died. Isn't it obvious? You know, some of these answers are going to be like, hello, my <laughs> husband's dead. Of right. course I'm mad. Well, what makes you mad about that? Well, because, you know, I'm sleeping alone now. I don't even know how to do this. I was married for 25 years. How do I even go back into the bedroom? And then it was, well, I'm a single parent. I've got to raise these girls by myself. Kept going down. What is really making me mad? And I got to it. And the anger stinger for me was that every holiday, who's going to walk the girls down the aisle? When the girls have babies, he would have been a fabulous um, grandfather. Who, you know, how are we going to deal with those moments, those perpetual moments that are going to sting us? And how are we going to deal with that? And it was... The, exa- the example I'll give you is Abby's wedding. My, my daughter, Abby, when she got engaged, immediately people could not even celebrate that she was engaged. They said, who's going to walk her down the aisle? Oh. Who's going to walk her down the aisle? And so we talked about uncles, uh, grandpas, friends, all of that kind of thing. And she just said, Mom, there's nobody that can walk me down that aisle. And so we purposed ahead of time to ball and and just fall out that Mike was not going to be there to able to do that. And then she found a song that she knew would escort her down the aisle. And on the day of the wedding, the moment that had the potential to steal every ounce of joy in that day was the most profound moment Mm. because the girls walked down the aisle and the doors closed. And then at the right moment in the music, those doors burst open and my beautiful daughter, Abigail walked that aisle like a runway Her dad was indeed escorting her, and her father, God, was escorting her on either side. And she walked, I mean, there was an audible (gasps) in the room. Mm. And that's what I want for your listeners, to have that ability to remove that stinger, that when things come up that they know the holidays are coming, how are we going to do this? Be proactive. Remove that stinger. Don't let it ruin your holidays. How are you going to manage that? And and the Lord will guide you through that process. He'll give mm-hmm. you the right things just like he did for Abigail. And so I want them to have that tool. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember how to spell dream. D-R-E. There we go. E is embrace. Mm-hmm. Awkward. When uh-huh. you're sad, um, you have to embrace the awkwardness. So um, I was at a party about a year after Mike died. And this is the first party I'm going to as a single lady. I've been married for 25 years. So that awkwardness of all of a sudden, this naked finger, Mm. I felt naked everywhere. It was just Mm. not even uh, enjoyable on any level. But I'm going to this party and nobody's going to know me so I can just go and have fun. They're not going to go, how are you doing? How's the girls? I could just go. Anonymity is a great thing sometimes. Went with my girlfriend and this is grand party, DJs, caterers. It's, you know, hundreds of people there. Uh, go into the bathroom downstairs. My girlfriend had just been in there, and I go in after her, and the door doesn't lock. And I think, well, my girlfriend's right outside. She's going to watch for me. You know where this is going, don't you? Mm. Yes. I sit down in the pot. It's a little half bathroom. I'm on the throne. Beside me is the the sink, and then right in front of me is the door. Right. I'm sitting down with the wad of toilet paper in my hand, and in walks... The best looking man at the party. (laughs) He's an Italian stallion. The hair is just like slicked back. He's got on a pressed shirt with cufflinks. Hello, Chuck. Yes. Cufflinks. This guy is a playa. He had on the shiny (laughs) shoes. He was gorgeous. 
I got all of that in about a second, and he got all of me in a second. And the exchange was not equal. I'm just saying. It was not a pretty thing. And I uh, I just about fell out right there. Yeah. It was just like, okay, I'm done. This is me. I put on my girl, big girl panties to come to this party, and they're down around my ankles. Right. And Mr. Gorgeous is looking at me. And finally, he left the room. It was like a deer in headlights. I was like, just get out. Just just back out. <laughs> right, and uh, right. when he did, there was that moment that we all have that defining moment of, what am I going to do? Yeah. Nobody knows me here. I can go home. Right. They're not going to say, where's Christy at? They don't even know I'm here. I could have snuck out the back. But when I stood up, <laughs> after uh-huh. I did my paperwork and stood up and looked myself in the mirror, I determined, girl, this is a defining moment for you. You can back down. Mm-hmm. You can hide. I call it hide or seek. Mm -hmm. I can hide or I can seek. So I went out to my girlfriend. I told her, here's the deal. If I'm at this party and Mr. Goodlooking is uh, in the room here, I'm going to be shut down the entire time. We are going to diffuse this. We are going to embrace awkward. We're going to find him. So I walked right over the gentleman standing by the fire, fireplace, and I said, hi, I think we should meet. I'm Christy Smith. And it took all of the energy out of the room, yeah. all of my sadness. So all of these words that I'm giving you are dream, remove, embrace. It's action. You have to work your grief in order to get the healing out of it. Otherwise, you just stay in the hurt. And so these are profound keys to unlock the grip of grief. How about an A? A is ask for help. So um, bargaining is the hardest phase to describe. Um, I would say, think of it as a chip on your shoulder. Okay, I've been grieving long enough now. God, you owe me. Mm-hmm. You took my husband. You better bring me another husband. You know, you better be better looking, have more, more money, more, more money. hair, all the, all the things, you know. <laughs> right. um, so, you know, it's this, I, I feel like I'm entitled the grief, that's honest where we get. Mm-hmm. That's just honest where we get. Mm-hmm. And so instead of demanding what you want, I ask people to ask for what you need. Demanding what you want will get you nowhere fast. But asking for what you need from God, from other people, and from yourself. You have to ask yourself, come on, girl, you can do this. If you ask for help, you will get it. And I think we're going to talk in the next program about the Widows Project. There are people out there that want to help. And so um, it's really critical that we go ahead and ask for that help. And it's very awkward to do that, but it's very empowering when people come around you. There's a level of healing that happens when other people step into your pain that can't happen in isolation. Yeah. So asking for help. How did um, we've got about five minutes left okay. here? Thank how, you. How did your daughters deal with it? Did they deal with it as well as you did, mm. or were they? Were you? Were you modeling something for them that they were able to get a hold of, or or uh, how did that work out for them? Well, they're amazing girls to begin with, and Mike was a pastor and just um, described as living 84 years and 48 years. Mm-hmm. He was only 48 when he died. So he was bigger than life. So he had already put so much into them that they were able to live on their residuals which is what I said as girls, you know that you've already gotten more put into you than most women ever do. Hmm. So we're just going to, we're going to make those withdrawals. He put all those deposits in. So we're going to make those withdrawals. So that helped. But I also think that we were surrounded by faith community and because we, we just personally asked the Lord, show us, guide us. We were very vulnerable about it. And so the Lord stepped in. I mean, he really walked us through. I can't say that I did it, 
Mm-hmm. As a mom, I think I had a role in it. I felt that very profoundly, but I think it was more God walking us through it. Yeah. So it was a gift that we received. And then M. M is move on, and quite honestly, people don't like to hear that um, because that somehow in their mind they think that that means that you're discrediting or um, giving disrespect to the one that's gone. It's not that. It's just you learning how to breathe again. So moving on is how you lock in acceptance. All these other keys that I've given you are to unlock grief. This is to lock in the acceptance. So you use that key in a different way. So moving on for me meant that the first year when he died, it was October 4th. That year, it's after Thanksgiving, I can't even move back into the bedroom. Hmm. I'm sleeping on the couch. Hmm. It's 20 feet from here to there, and I can't do it. And so I said to God, okay, I can't do this anymore. This is me modeling to my girls that I can't move on. I need you to help me move 20 feet. And it could have been a million miles, but it was 20 feet. And so I called in friends to help me paint the bedroom, got a queen-size bed instead of the king because the king was not there anymore. Queen-size would fit me now. And um, for me, that first Christmas, allowing myself to move back into the bedroom, painted spa colors, got new bedding, soft velvets and quilts and stuff. Um, It was my cocoon. Hmm. It was my way of saying, you know, I'm going to step into this nest that the Lord has got me tucked under his wing, and he's going to provide the healing that I need. So moving on for me was moving back into the bedroom. Mm -hmm. For somebody else who's, I had a, a friend that their daughters died in a car wreck that he was driving the car, his own daughters. And for him, moving on meant to drive again or to buckle another child into a seatbelt. I don't what I don't know what you're moving on is, but I know that there is something that you can do to actively move on. Again, actively move on. And it's not to discredit the the one that's died. It's to learn how to live again. Yeah. That's the the goal. And this is a tough question because sure. it's a generalization, but there's really no uh, there's really no formula, is there, in the sense of there's a determination in your heart that you need to move on, but whether it's um, moving the clothes out of the closet after right. four months or is it a year? Right. Is it, you know, right. there's really no formula, but there needs to be this progress that takes mm-hmm. place, isn't, isn't there? I describe it this way. It's a recipe. So all the pieces and ingredients are there. You uh, mix the dry ingredients when you're ready. And then you mix the wet ingredients and you put it all together. So I don't have a timeline for it, but I do think there is a strategic path to it. Yeah. And that's what I think what's been missing and why people have walked around hurting instead of healing. Do you think at times people will stop in, in uh, maybe after the E or they don't even get to E and they stop and they're there mm-hmm. maybe for a long, long period mm-hmm. of time? Mm-hmm. Doesn't that, It does happen, doesn't Without it? Without my book, they will be stuck. <laughs> with my book, I will tell you I've had profound um, progress with this. People that have been locked in anger, and this is people that maybe um, lost a husband or a loved one years ago, will read my book and say, something flooded through me. Something entered me that that brought in healing. And there, I've had one profound lady, Barbara Blazer, bless her heart, met me at a, a book signing and was just a wreck, an absolute wreck. And I prayed over her and sent her home with my book. And a week later, she emailed me, you would not believe I'm not the same sad woman that you met a week ago. So there is power in this book to unlock current grief or past grief. It's- well, and the natural question is, uh, how do we get your book? Ah, Dream Smith 
books.com. So Dream is the title of the book. Mm-hmm. Smith is my last name. Books, because I've written more than one, mm-hmm. dot com. Dreamsmithbooks.com. Well, we've been speaking with Christy Smith. And mm-hmm. Christy, one final thought for you as uh, we're closing up this program. How would you encourage our listeners if they're going through the stages of grief? Mm. Lean into the uncomfortableness. Feel your feelings, but do not feed them. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. Dare to dream. Thanks for joining me today on Heart of the City. Thank you, Chuck. You've been listening to this 820 AM, the word special Heart of the City. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, The Word, call Chuck Olmsted, 206-269-6216, or go to thewordseattle.com.